Hello, this is the Pod Goblin's Hat, a podcast about the Moomins. This is episode three, which is about a wet philosopher, a mysterious path, and whether or not you can own the natural world. I'm Dave, a person with a deep love of apocalyptic fiction from a very early age. I'm Nina, a person who has written apocalyptic fiction from an early age. And we're reading all the way through Tuve Janssen's Moomin's books together. It's the first time for me. Whereas if I wrote my memoirs, the Moomins would be featured pretty regularly. We're starting by reading the storybooks for children in order of publication, and eventually we will cover all of Tuve Janssen's Moomin stories. Today we're reading the first half of Comet in Moominland, chapters 1 to 6. This is the first Moomin book I can remember experiencing. And it's where lots of people start. The actual book I've got in my hands is older than me, I think. It was bought for my brother. It's falling to bits, like you'd expect. This time we've got different copies, right? Yeah. I've got the new one from Penguin, which has got the Philip Pullman pull quote on the front. My edition is the fifth impression, and it's the classic... Very red, very dramatic front cover. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like this front cover a lot. Yeah, my edition is pretty boring. Have we got the same translator? Uh, is it translated by Elizabeth Porch? Yes. Great. We're going to have two themes that we're looking at the book through every episode. Last episode, we did do the themes, but we didn't explicitly say we were doing the themes. We have one overarching theme for all of the books, which is relationships, and then each book will have its own individual theme as well. Last week's, if you didn't guess, because why would you guess, was fairy tales, and this week we're doing omens. Would you like to kick off the synopsis? The story begins with a description of what's been happening since the last book. So the Moomin family have been living in Moomin Valley for a while. They're getting to know it. It introduces the little animal, comma, Sniff. Yeah. I feel like that is definitive proof that Sniff is the same little animal that we had before. Yeah, but maybe he didn't have that name in the last book. Maybe he had not yet been christened. So Sniff discovers a mysterious path that have never been seen before and he tells Moomin Troll about it. He's very excited about impressing Moomin Troll with this path discovery and they decide to go and look at this mysterious path and on the way they enjoy windfalls from the pear trees. Sniff christens himself the Path Pioneer. When they get up to the mysterious path though, the sign that Sniff has carved into a tree to signpost this mysterious path has moved around it's just all over the place now it's everywhere (laughs) there's more of them some of them are halfway up trees it's a very confusing experience they hear some cackling however (laughs) and that brings them face to face with the silk monkey sniff says wretched wretch 
at some point soon, Moomin Troll will say poo a lot with an exclamation mark. And strike me pink. They run to catch the silk monkey who finds that funny and thinks it's like a game and that she's being chased by some fun new friends. They finally find the mysterious path. The mysterious path takes them to the beach where Moomin Troll jumps into the sea and goes swimming. Sniff doesn't want to go swimming. Moomin Troll dives for pearls and gathers a load of pearls on the beach. Sniff is less interested in that. Him and the silk monkey explore the beach and discover together a cave. A really cool cave. Which immediately Sniff decides is is his discovery fully. Yep. <laughs> Like many men throughout history, he starts to write out the Silk Monkeys. Contributions. They explore the cave. They get a bit frightened. They leave the cave. They go down to Moomin Troll and they go to the cave. The Silk Monkey gets to be the treasurer. They swear her into their secret club. Moomin Troll is always declaring or at least thinking in his mind that different things are his favourite. So Mysterious Paths were his favourite, then Bathing, now (laughs) Secrets, and it carries on like that. And when they come out of the cave, the shells have been arranged into a strange shape of a star with a tail. And they wonder what that can mean, if it's a good or bad omen, but then they get distracted. Because that's how it is when you're adventurers at the beach. They go back to the Moomin house to not talk about their secret. But to loudly allude to the fact that they have a secret. Lots of hints are dropped. Moomin Mama is impressed with the the fact that they've discovered lots of things. Then, later that night, when everyone's gone to bed, Moomin Papa hears a noise. A plaintive noise. And that is of a very wet and bedraggled muskrat, who is a kind of philosopher... (laughs) That immediately just impresses Moomin Papa. He invites the muskrat in out of the rain, which is maybe what the muskrat was secretly hoping for. Even though he says it makes no difference to him anyway, because nothing matters. But still, it would be drier inside than out. So the muskrat in the rich tradition of philosophers in children's stories is a very basic nihilist. And just goes on 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 about how nothing matters and how he doesn't care. But he does care about many things like warmth, yeah. like comfort, like drinks and all that. Uh, Moomin Papa <laughs> goes to get him a drink. Breaks a dish. He knocks a dish off the top of the shelf, which might say something about how infrequently he goes into the kitchen and uh, knows his way around it. Moomin Mama comes down, comes in a nightdress, <laughs> candle and a handbag to find out why there's been this commotion. They all have a drink together. They talk about what's going on. The important thing here is that the philosopher seems to also be some kind of medium and he's prophesying terrible things. A bad thing is on its way. So in the morning, Sniff and Moomin Troll discover that there is a new guest in the house. It's the muskrat philosopher. They're quite excited to talk to him, but he's not very excited to talk to them. Moomin Mama sends Sniff and Moomin Troll out with a ladder to pick the pair for the jam that she's going to make. So they have a great time doing that. The silk monkey helps out and then they go home and ask for a lunch to be packed for them because they're going to go back to their special secret place, which they cannot tell Moomin Mama where it is. But Moomin Mama's very chill and says, yes, you can go. And here's a picnic. She packs them an umbrella, pancakes, sandwiches, bananas, lemonade. 
Moomintrola's scared sniff. He runs off to Moomin Mama for comfort and she lets him do his general thing, which is lick the jam from the pot. While they've been adventuring, she's been making the pear jam. And that's when Moomintrola decides to go to the muskrat. And he decides to do it without sniff because he doesn't want to scare Sniff anymore, probably feels a little bit bad about that. But also, I think he feels a little bit superior to Sniff, in that he can like handle these big ideas and concepts and scary things. Moomintroll, because he's very polite, has started addressing the philosopher as Uncle Muskrat. Uncle Muskrat is lying down having deep thoughts, a.k.a. napping, when Moomintroll comes to ask him some questions about the star with the tail. The philosopher says, Yeah... I know about signs. It's something to do with the zodiac and things in the sky. The main thing that the philosopher contributes to this discussion, apart from that a star with a tail is called a comet, and it might be a sky monster, is that there is such a thing as an observatory in the Lonely Mountains, where very clever people look up through a telescope at the stars, and probably they can tell us if there's a comet or not. Moomin Troll hatches a plan to go on a journey to the Lonely Mountains with Sniff to ask the astronomers, I guess, if there's anything ominous in the sky. And crucially, he doesn't tell Sniff about the comet or the possibility of a comet. But nevertheless, Sniff goes. Uh, they go together the next morning. So Moomin Mama packs their bags because Moomin Mama always packs all the bags. With woolly stockings, packets of sandwiches and stuff like that. While Moomin Papa gets their raft in order because it's always a bit gendered, the jobs that those two have. Moomin Troll has some debate with his mum about how much stuff should be packed. He agrees to keep the woolly trousers, but he gets her to take out the plates because they can always eat off, off rhubarb leaves. I think that's fair as well. It's quite difficult to take crockery with you on a thing like this. So they set off on the raft and they're talking about adventures. And Sniff says, I'm not unadventurous. I just like adventures that are the right size for me. And I'm small, so I like small adventures. And Moomin Troll's sort of feeling like, well, I'm a bit more adventurous than that, but you know, I'm bigger. Then a really big adventure happens. <laughs> what they took to be logs in the river turns out to be crocodiles. So suddenly the drama's ramped all the way up and they feel quite frightened. And the only way that they can think to get away is to throw the woolly trousers into the mouth of the crocodile. And then the crocodile's kind of confused. It's like, is there something I want to eat? Is it not? And the other crocodiles are like, can I have a bit of that? Meanwhile, Sniff and Moomin Troll escape. And Moomin Troll says, well, strike me pink. Are you satisfied with that adventure? You scream too, said Sniff. <laughs> so that was kind of scary. Uh, they make camp for the night and they cook some pancakes in their frying pan, which they eat with their fingers. And then they go to bed. And then we have chapter four, which is where we meet for the first time Snufkin. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so, yeah, the next day they kind of wake up a little bit like worse for wear. The world's a bit grey and it doesn't feel so fun. Moomin Troll is worrying about his ethical dilemma of should he tell Sniff or not. They see the Hattie Fatteners in their boats sailing, forever wandering restlessly from place to place in their aimless quest for nobody knows what. They wonder, will the river ever end? They wonder if they should play some poker, but they don't. 
Well, they've already been playing a lot of poker. They're bored of it. And that's when they see a flag flying on the top of a tent and they can hear music as well. Snufkin comes out and enjoys the fact that he's just seeing some new people. Yeah, invites them over. Welcomes them straight away. Talks to them as if he's known them all his life. Announces that he's a tramp. That is right, he is a tramp, which means he tramps about from place to place. He says, I'm a tramp and I live all over the place. I wander about and when I find a place that I like, I put up my tent and I play my mouth organ. And they're like, what? You like this place? (laughs) And he's like, yes, I do. And he points out that this place that they had not seen any beauty in is actually beautiful. And he shows them how it's beautiful. He describes it. They ask him if he's a painter or a poet. And he says, I am everything. Well, he puts on the kettle. <laughs> and we, now we know why he's Dave's favourite. <laughs> they have various conversations with him. About unfriendly stars with tails. Yeah, Moomin tries trying to pump Snufkin for some information without giving away to Sniff what information. But he does give away to Sniff. Because Moomin Troll discovers you can't ask people explicitly about dangerous stars with tails <laughs> without Sniff working out what's going on. And he does. <laughs> And so Sniff discovers the stakes of their journey. He's not pleased. And they talk about comets, who Snufkin sees as sky tramps because they move around the sky uh, and is not particularly worried about them until it's explained to him that if a comet hits the Earth, it explodes everything, which Snufkin is sad about because it would be awful if the Earth exploded because it's so beautiful. They talk about his flag. He explains the design of the flag, which is blue at the top for the sky, the blue underneath is the sea, the line between them is a road, and the dot on the left is Snufkin at the moment, and the dot in the right is Snufkin in the future. (laughs) It's a great flag. I'm not a fan of flags, but this flag I'm a fan of. It's an individual flag. It might be in the form of a flag, but it's almost like a cartoon that he's taking around that shows who he is. Of himself. (laughs) Of himself. (laughs) It also teaches you about temporality and that we change. That the snufkin here and the snufkin there are different because they're in different times. The flag itself is almost an anti-flag. And I think that's kind of great. Snufkin can even make me approve of a flag. Uh, In fact, Moomintrol also approves of it. Sniff, less convinced because he's not on it. Yeah, but then Snufkin just includes him and goes, we can all be the little dot. And he also senses the the idea of what Sniff really cares about and uh, shows them a cleft with garnets in it. And they go (laughs) to that place and and Sniff drops down into the downwards cave, this like hole in the ground cavern. uh, And he gets excited. He grabs all of the garnets and he's having a whale of a time. (laughs) He asks if they belong to anybody. Snufkin says... uh, That they're his. For as long as he lives there, because he's the monarch of all that he surveys, and he owns the whole earth, is what he says. So Sniff's excited to ask if he can have them. Snufkin says, yeah, because he doesn't really care about the earth that he owns all of. So (laughs) possessions, they can go to anywhere within the earth and still be his, whether Sniff has them or not. Sniff gets really excited. His avaricious side comes out. His Scrooge McDuck side comes out. He starts piling them in a big pile. He sees two exciting extra gems. They are not gems. They are eyes. (laughs) Of a very scary lizard that... Once they save Sniff because they pull him out, Sniff is sobbing on the ground. The 
lizard curls around the gun. It's like a dragon. And Snufkin comforts Sniff in a kindly way by saying, but that's how it is when you start wanting to have things. Now, I just look at them. And when I go away, I carry them in my head. Then my hands are always free because I don't have to carry a suitcase. The garnets would have gone in the rucksack, (laughs) said Sniff miserably. (laughs) It's a good point. And they end up wrapped in their own thoughts. The sleepover in Snufkin's tent. And I think that's wonderful. It shows really why I love Snufkin. He really comes in strong. He does. With everything I love about him in that chapter. But we've got an idea now when we get to the segment about what would Snufkin do? We've got a much better idea. Yeah, now we've got something to go off. So they carry on journeying together and Snufkin makes the journey so much better. He plays the music. He tells them stories. He tells them about a time when he went to the land of the fire spirits and he goes down under the earth. The only way you can walk on lava is on stilts because otherwise you burn your feet. So he's walking around, he finds a little stream and he lies down for a little drink and one of the fire spirits has floated down and falling in the water and it's like his fire's going out. He's drowning. I suppose this is what happens when a droplet of lava falls into a stream. It becomes like a porous rock. It loses its life. Snufkin decides to help him even to his own detriment because in reaching in and grabbing him, he burns his hand. In thanks, the fire spirit gives him a bottle of underground sun oil. What that's for is when you apply it to your skin, it makes you heat proof. And so then you can handle really hot things. And it occurs to everyone that this would be a very useful thing to have if the comet hit and everything exploded. Because if they just all coated themselves in underground sun oil, then they'd be fine. And Snufkin's like, yeah, but I've already used quite a lot of it. I've only got a bit left. It wouldn't cover all of us. (laughs) Sniff goes, well, I'm only small, so would it do me? And Snufkin's like, yeah, but we'd have to leave off your tail. And he's like, well, in that case, I don't want it at all. Because one of the morals of this story is that one must respect one's tail. They're still travelling down in the raft, and the river gets really rough, and they sort of like go down a waterfall into an underground part of the river, and it's really scary. And they put down the mast so they can fit. And then the mast just sort of blocks the way onto like the massive rocks. And they're in dire straits. Again. <laughs> and Moomin Troll goes, strike me pink. Again. Again. And Snufkin sits down and writes a poem about it. He goes, floating on this eerie water, far away from bricks and mortar. Saw a mermaid, didn't caught her, suggested Sniff. <laughs> Which is a reference to the earlier book. Yes, it is a reference to the earlier book and this mermaid with the bums. Yep. Snufkin doesn't like that. It's not true, not grammar, and it doesn't even rhyme properly. It does totally rhyme properly. It's true, but maybe it didn't rhyme as well in Swedish. Possibly. (laughs) It's an interesting question that Snufkin cares about grammar. I feel like he doesn't care about grammar so much as he cares about vibes, and it wasn't the right vibe for him. Yeah. But anyway, they do find that music makes them feel better, so Snufkin pulls out his mouth organ and starts playing a tune, and it makes them feel all adventury and brave. And also, the sound carries up out of the cave to the surface of the earth where there is a hemulin who is collecting insects in jars with his butterfly net and he thinks that's a really interesting noise for 
like a little bug to be making. What little creatures are down there for him to put yeah. into jars? It's an exciting time. <laughs> so he lowers his net down and everyone climbs in, which means, again, everyone must be really small or Hermulans must be really big that they can all fit into the butterfly net. Hermulans are definitely big compared to Moomins. That's definitely canon. But they look very much like Moomins, but the difference is that they all wear dresses. Have they all got that long hair as well? They have hair, yeah. So he pulls them out and then he's really disappointed that they are not little insects he can put in a jar. Moomin Troll says, thank you very much, because Moomin Troll's very polite. Sniff insults him, would you say? He's pretty rude consistently to Hemulins, yeah. I think the thing is that Hemulins are almost like an older kid, so Moomin Troll looks up to them as like a elder whereas sniff is like here's someone i can be cheeky to and the picture of him doing the rudeness is very much in that i'm gonna be a bit cheeky and i'm gonna get away with it moomin troll tells him that it's wrong to be disrespectful to elderly gentlemen i don't exactly agree with moomin troll in that moment but anyway they decide to head toward the mountains which brings us to chapter six which is the last chapter we're covering today they continue to go up the mountains it gets hotter yeah They hear the sound of a hyena in the distance, which scares Sniff, and Snufkin decides to distract him from his fear by telling him another story about some snorks that he met a few months ago. Moomin Troll's never heard of snorks. Snufkin is amazed by this. He's like, how can you not know what a snork is? They basically look the same as you. I don't (laughs) even understand how you're not in the same family. And that is a question. Are snorks kinds of Moomins? They look the same but the difference is that they change colour depending on their moods. And they don't treat their tails quite so respectfully because they use them for fishing and Moomin Troll would never do that. That's right. Moomin Troll doesn't approve of that. But also there's a line that says that they can be any colour in the world like an Easter egg. <laughs> and I think that's kind of interesting because you could argue that the mention of the snorks here itself is an Easter egg. Yes. In the modern way that we mean Easter egg of a thing that will come to fruition later for people who know now there's lots of foreshadowing going on all over the place which fits the theme of omens there's literal omens but there's also story omens and maybe the stories that snufkin tells are story omens nina won't know yet because nina has not read the rest of the book well i i can tell it's going somewhere so yeah moomin troll's never heard of them but he hears them described one's a boy and one's a girl snufkin met them when snufkin escaped from prison and moomin troll is just generally unimpressed by snorks particularly girl snorks not impressed by girls in that Kind of cliched way. Yeah. It's very funnily done, this cliche. Moomin Troll reveals that he maybe has different feelings from the words that come out of his mouth. (laughs) It's very, very quickly established. (laughs) He's basically obsessed with the idea of the Snork Maiden. And all he has to hear about her is that, like, she looks like him and she wears a flower behind her ear. That's all it takes. Snufkin reveals why he ended up in prison. It's because he was rolling a melon that he found that he liked and uh, a nasty... Ugly old man, I'm afraid it says ugly, I don't approve of that word, but old man nevertheless comes out of the house, starts shouting at him, says he's going to call the police on him. Snufkin carries on rolling his melon, ignoring this man. The man turns out to not only be prepared to call the police, (laughs) but he's actually a policeman, and so he doesn't have to call very far because he can call himself. Uh, And that policeman arrests him and throws him in jail for being a melon stealer. (laughs) 
Also, he says there were loads of other melons in that melon field. It's not like he was creating scarcity for anyone. That's right. And I had this experience as a child once. Me and another boy discovered a carrot field and we just thought, wow, carrots, they grow out of the ground. They're for everyone. So we picked loads of them, took them back to the house. The adults were not impressed. And apparently they had to do a lot of like smoothing out with the farmers in the area about our hijinks. But like Snufkin, I did not think anyone could own what it grows from the very soil. And whilst I was told I was wrong, <laughs> turns out I think I was right. But anyway, getting back to Snufkin, he's in prison. Moomin Troll interrupts him a lot to throw shade on the snork. Don't interrupt, says Snufkin. And he tells him about how horrible it was in the cell and how he had to escape one moonless night by digging himself out with a tin opener. <laughs> Uh, twice he came up too soon, he says, once just behind the guard and then another time just inside the prison walls. So he was popping out all <laughs> over the shop. It's very fantastic, Mr. Fox, that bit. And he finally gets out, meets the snork and his sister. Snufkin says, and how beautiful the pale green snork maiden was. She had sparkling blue eyes and was covered with beautiful soft fluff. She could weave mats of grass and brew soothing herb drinks if you had a tummy ache. She always wore a flower behind her ear and round her ankle she had a little gold ring. And actually, to be fair to the snort maiden, when I was a kid I didn't fully understand that the snort maiden is quite a rounded character with lots and lots of, yeah. of pluses and is, is generally right. Anyway, Moomin Troll says, pa, women. Yep. I didn't enjoy that. Says it was a rotten story. It wasn't good. But then in the night, he dreams about her yeah. already. <laughs> and then they get to the observatory. They know that they're on the right track because the ground is covered with cigarette ends cigarette from ends. the scientists. It's <laughs> like, obviously, they're all chain smoking up there and then just chucking the cigarette ends out onto the mountainside. They continue to discover it's hot and Moomin Troll says, thank goodness that the crocodiles ate up the woolly trousers. It actually gets cold at that point. It gets cold, like they were warned by Mama. As we all know, they should have expected it. Sniff counts on his finger the amount of big creatures and uh, terrible events that have befallen to them. Counts that there's <laughs> five and says it's beginning to get monotonous. Which is a bit of meta-commentary. That is true. <laughs> And suddenly they see a shining light that, again, Sniff thinks is going to be a diamond, but it turns out to be a gold bracelet. And they decide that not only is the Snork Maiden someone that Moomin Troll is obsessed with, but now a tragic figure who has died falling off the rocks. And that is why there is this anklet there. Moomin Troll is too overcome to speak. He's so sad. <laughs> Moomin Troll gets the anklet very dangerously. They have to pull him back up because he nearly falls down and it's very dangerous for everyone. They get up to the top of the mountain. There is indeed an observatory there. The sky is red with doom. They try to get the scientists to tell them about the comet. Moomin Troll tries first. Well, Moomin Troll messes it up because he asks about the Snork Maiden instead of the comet. That is of no interest to the scientists. <laughs> but they do say that the Snorks were there. With similar questions. So that does suggest that maybe the Snork Maiden is okay. Sniff does get it right. Sniff has his moment. Yeah. He goes in. He correctly understands that the best way to get the scientists to tell him what they want to know 
is to flatter them and yeah. make their egos feel big. So he says, I'm very impressed with you and all of that. He also plays the cute little child being starry-eyed. He plays that up for a lot. Like, oh, I would love to look through your telescope. I'm so interested in the stars. And what you do is so impressive. He actually sees the comet through the telescope. Uh, he's confused by its lack of tail, but the professor explains that the tail is behind it because it is coming directly straight, straight the at earth. the Earth. <laughs> And he says it will get bigger every day. Sniff says, when will it arrive? The uh, scientist says, 7th of October at 8.42pm, possibly four seconds later. And Sniff says, what will happen? And the professor's like, I haven't thought about that. But I shall record the events in great detail, you may be sure. He's a scientist in the same way that the philosopher is a philosopher. Yeah, no figures of authority are very good at it. No. <laughs> as we can see from the anti-prison, anti-police attitude of Snufkin, they ask what date it is and they're told it's the 3rd of October and that the time is exactly 6.28. So that's how long they have. And they decide that they must hurry home as fast as they can because Mama will know what to do. In the event of a comet strike. In the event of a comet or anything. And Moomin Troll ends this first half of the book not thinking about a comet at all, but how he must give that wretched girl her ankle ring back. <laughs> and that's where we're stopping. So how did you find the first half of Comet and Moomin Land, Nina? I thought it was interesting the way that it called back to Flood. So there is a confirmation early on that Sniff is the small creature, which I suppose means that he's been more formally adopted into the Moomin family. He's living in their house. He certainly seems to be sharing Moomin Mama and her mothering qualities. Certainly he seems to need that. And Moomin Papa also is wistful about his travels with the Hattie Fatners, and he says he's going to write about it one day. But, as Moomin Troll says, that's quite another story. I think that's quite fun. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yes, there was an earlier book, but we don't care. We don't yeah. care. Starting fresh here. I was quite into that. I was quite into the philosopher. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I like those characters in children's books where they're just like, I guess, a version of a thing that isn't really a job for adults. Like, it's presented as you know is this something that adults do but like how many people do you actually know who get to have a job as a philosopher well that's an interesting thing that you bring up there though because one of the things i've got in my notes is that the kind of moomin's world is a workless world yeah people do domestic work for themselves yes. when they want to yeah and they do creative work for themselves when they want to and they do domestic work for each other as well that's right and creative work for each other, but they don't yeah. have work, they don't have jobs. Well, clearly farms exist, though. At least somewhere that Snufkin was, there was work in that world. And I presume the prison guard was working, yeah. Yes, yeah. So on the planet, there is work, but in Moomin Valley, there is not. Right, the, the scientists are working too. Yeah, yeah. But the Moomin experience is one of worklessness in a positive yeah. way. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the things that's really appealing about them. So other things that have changed since Flood, they have become proper Moomins. They have fattened out. They have grown snouts rather than noses. And it just seems it's a bit more of a confident piece of work, isn't it? Yeah. 
and the pacing and the structure is less all over the place. I mean, like, there are 12 chapters, we've just talked about six, and the turning point of the story is right in that sixth chapter. So you've got six chapters of going to Ward, finding out about the comet, and then six chapters of running away from the comet, presumably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I was very impressed with it as a piece of work when reading it this time because everything's like a cog. Everything's really important to be there. Mm. Like the things that seem like they're not important will be important. It's very elegantly put together as a kind of piece of plotting, yeah. which is not something I think of when I think of Tuve Janssen. And it still feels quite random. Yes, <laughs> it's designed to feel random. Yeah. Shall we talk about the omens in this book? So I think there's a really interesting piece of foreshadowing of the star with the tail in the little twirly symbol that Sniff makes right at the beginning on one yep. of the trees to mark his way. And then they come back and that symbol is all over the place. It's very quickly explained away in that the silk monkey just copied it because she thought it was fun. But that's the first time that there's like a 2D written down symbol that starts to show up everywhere and that's frightening. And once that's happened, it happens again with the pearls, and then it happens a bunch of different times. Yeah. Even the crocodiles with their tails, the lizard with its yeah. tail all wrapped around the shiny garnets. Yeah. It's there even when it's not explicitly commented on, and yeah. it is quite often explicitly commented on. That reminded me a bit of the following dark in Thud shows up that way as well, which is a mining symbol, but it starts following a character around. And we know that Pratchett was a fan of Janssen's. It's practically the same symbol. <laughs> it might have been inspired by it's, that. It's a circle with a tail. <laughs> yeah. Instead of a star with a tail. I think that's sort of related to the idea of the constellations that they're talking about with the philosopher right at the beginning. And so Moomin Troll misinterprets it, right? So the philosopher's talking about these shapes of stars in the sky that we've assigned these creatures, like lions and scorpions, Moomin Troll immediately goes to sky monsters. Yeah. But again, these are like a 2D shape that you can etch onto the natural world that you can assign a meaning to. So it's a lot about, like, symbols, I suppose. The arrival of the muskrat himself is a kind of omen as well. Like, yeah. late at night, somebody new comes with bad tidings. Is one of your, yeah. one of your classic... <laughs> bad omens each chapter has a which is about and tells you what's going to come in that chapter so that that is itself an omen in my copy of comet and moomin land there is also across the top of the page a line that tells you what happens (laughs) in each page so for the page where the crocodiles happen it says no adventures on the first page and then the second page says until the crocodiles (laughs) so so that's the sentence that kind of sums up that page and it's like this incredibly intertextual thing like you can find out and i guess that's really good for adults reading it to children because they can literally find it like where they exactly were by like these little hints but also like little content warnings as you go if you've got a kid that doesn't like a crocodile yeah (laughs) skip that page they are content warnings and also 
there are footnotes occasionally, and some of them are stated as author footnotes. And some of them are translators. And I don't know if that's really the translator or if that's Tuve Janssen saying this is a translator footnote. I don't know, but I also... I know, I don't know. But I also think that talking to Pratchett, you know, this will yeah. be more in other books too, but like Tuve uses footnotes in an interesting way, and so does Pratchett. Yeah. Footnotes themselves, they're kind of little omens on the page, little like suggestions of things that are going to happen are all around this this book that I've got. Yeah. Yours has got a little bit less of it, which is a shame, actually, I think. It is a shame. I wonder why they took that out. I mean, it doesn't save them that much ink, but it might be to do with... Formatting. Got to set things in a different way and, you know, whatever. Still, I feel robbed. Yeah. Well, you should feel robbed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. So should we talk a little bit about the characterization of Sniff? assuming that he is the little creature yes. from Flood. Has he had much development? No. I guess he's still a coward and still into, like, shiny stuff. He's still obsessed with shiny stuff. He is still scared or anxious. I wouldn't necessarily use the word coward. But, I, I mean, I sort of disagree with myself. Like, he says he wants adventures his own size. Yeah. That's kind of fair enough. And he does brave things at times as well. And yeah, and does. And even when he doesn't do brave things, he does things that are very important for the quest. I think he is developing as a character, I would say. He's more rounded, more fleshed out. Yeah. But it's funny, as a child, Sniff was like, oh, that's the annoying little kid that's scared yeah. of everything. But as an adult who suffers from anxiety... I'm like, whoa, I really relate. I really relate <laughs> to the, the anxiety part of Sniff. So shall we talk about the way that Snuffkin enters this series? The bit that you were really excited about. He enters strong. He reveals both his philosophies and the contradictions within himself very quickly. He's also a bit of a shot in the arm to the story at that point. Because yes. there's a real lull in yeah. Chapter 4. And Sniff and Moomin Troll are bickering. And they're not enjoying the rain. They're not finding the beauty in the rain. It sort of changes the whole tone of the adventure. Because he plays adventure music over it. And it's like pretending you're in a film. That's you right. Know, and you're walking through a city and you've got your headphones in. That's sort of the effect he has on the quest. Is he makes everybody feel like the main character. He does play the role of like the wizard or like something like that. The, mm. the one that knows the world better and can help them and take them through it. He might be older or he might just be old before his time kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and he smokes a pipe, which That's suggests true. adulthood to me. That, that maybe does. And I think Snufkin is a character that was slightly based on a romantic partner of yeah. Tuve's before she'd gone full spook. So it was an actual guy. It was an actual guy who asked her to marry him and she said no. And then she went off and got rejected by a woman. And then she came back and asked him to marry her. And he was like, uh, okay. And then he kept putting it off. And then they called off the engagement. And then Tuva met Tutti. That's right. But he was the kind of person who would go off yeah. without expectation. And, and he had the hat and the pipe. Yeah. And all of that. He also does a lot of emotional looking after that I think Moomin Troll and Sniff on their own at least at this stage, are not very good at. Yeah, that's right. He accepts both Moomin Troll and Sniff for who they are, and by doing that can form a bridge between them because they can't accept each other very well. And they're always trying to outdo each other. Yeah. 
with regard to that, we could go right back to the beginning with how they treat Silk Monkey, which I think is very interesting. In that they're one-upping each other. Sniff wants to be the one that discovered the cool thing. Moomin Troll kind of wants to be in charge of the expedition to go and see the cool thing. But then as soon as you add a third person, they're in a team against her and they call her an outsider. And should we really tell things to outsiders? Which is very different from their reaction to Snufkin, right? Because And that's partly because they're they're scared and they need someone when they meet Snufkin. It's also because the Silk Monkey's a girl. I don't think Tuve is approving of that sexism. No, I think she's representing it fairly accurately. And, you know, for whatever reason, she's made a choice, at least at this stage, to have mainly male characters. That's true. Can't deny it. (laughs) I'm a fan of the Silk Monkey. She seems quite fun. Yeah, she's great. She's great. They eventually swear her in, and then she's allowed to know their secrets. But that's because she's already discovered their secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) it's absolutely a fake. She's not very interested in doing what Moomin Troll and Sniff ask her to do. And as soon as they start playing together, Moomin Troll and Sniff have got jobs for her to do. Like, let's find a box to put the pearls in. Let's do this. Let's go for a swim. And she's like, no, I don't. I'd like to climb the rocks. I'm going to go and climb the rocks now. What were you saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she's very independent. I'm glad she's there at the beginning because she does show up their sexism pretty quickly. Yeah, she exposes them. They think that they're exposing her all the time, but she actually, to us, the reader, we like her more, I think. Yes. Yeah, so when they go out on their adventure together, we know that they're, like, (laughs) ridiculous and we should roll our eyes at them. I know we didn't get much of her, but I want to talk about Moomin Mama again, since she's kind of the main character of the last book. Right. You see where she's gone. She's doing the same thing. She's packing very good bags with very useful things in them. She's providing tummy powders again. They're in the side pockets of the rucksack. And she was right to include the woolly trousers, because actually it is very cold at the top of the mountain, which I guess she knew all along. She's making jam and she's letting Sniff lick the jam pot when she's done. And she also, you know, comes down to her feckless husband smashing her crockery, doesn't mind particularly about the damage to her stuff and helps him to find the palm wine. But she also, she doesn't mind that, like, she's woken up in the middle of the night and she sits up with the two men and is impressed by them. I wish she'd mind more. Yeah, I get you. I get you. I get you. And I'm wondering, like, prognosticating for the future books, whether we're going to get, like, a Moomin Mama blow up. Yeah, I think we'll see more sides of Moomin Mama, definitely. That's 100% definitely true. So, Nina, do we have any entries to the Nina's Mistakes folder for this one? Yeah. But I don't think this one has got as much meaning. It's just a tense. Here it is. Sniff pondered this deeply, and after a while they stopped talking and just lay watching the sunlight, which poured through the roof, creep over the sand and shine on Moomin Troll's pearls. Just a tense mistake. Doesn't matter. Bad grammar, as uh, Snufkin criticised Sniff for. Yeah. I actually think that line about grammar, though, is slightly grammatically incorrect as well. Yeah, but that's probably on purpose. Which I think it might be deliberate. Yeah. don't think this one is, though. I think this one's probably translation error. Elizabeth Porch. <laughs> Sorry to e- expose your mistake, Elizabeth Porch. I-, I do understand we all make mistakes and uh, it is perfectly reasonable to have them in things. I'm not sure Elizabeth Porch is still around. She translated this in 1951. Yeah, I suspect that she might have died, but... She- 
her spirit might live on. <laughs> okay. So the question for our What Would Snufkin Do segment comes from my significant other, my partner, Jen. The question is, what would Snufkin tell you to do if your cat came home with a new collar? It's very interesting because it touches on the ownership thing, but also it depends on whether you consider a cat to be a person or a thing. And legally speaking, pets are your possessions. And so taking away from you is stealing. And also you're responsible if your pet causes damage to somebody else's possessions. That's the legalistic look at it. But of course, that's not how Snufkin would look at it. Snufkin is a character from the world of the Moomins as well. And as we know from the first book, cats are canonically conscious beings that have opinions and thoughts and feelings. I think Snufkin would be on the side of person rather yeah, than yeah i think so too did the cat already have a collar on was that collar removed and replaced with this new one or does the cat just have two collars now because if the cat just has two collars now i feel like it's fine and you don't have to do anything correct and also did the cat choose its collar like if the cat went out and got its own collar and it's just oh, wearing its fine. fancy new collar the same way that like a snork maiden might wear a new anklet then that's absolutely fine and reasonable behavior for the cat But I feel like the implication of the question is that it's set in our world and therefore that somebody else has put the new collar on the cat and that is a brand of ownership. This suggests that the question asker's cat has gone to somebody else's house, is maybe getting extra dinners at somebody else's house and this somebody else is now considering your cat to be their cat. And I think that Snufkin's take on it, my instinct is that he would say, well... You know, who does that hurt? What's the problem? Like, it's got a new collar. Somebody else wants to think it owns the cat. You want to think you own the cat. So, you know, take it in turns. But, you know, neither of you own the cat. But was it taken off? I don't understand. Well, it's not clear if it's been taken off, but we can assume that it probably was replaced by a new collar. Okay, that's more problematic. So the purpose of having a collar on your cat, apart from usually there's a bell so that the cat can't kill as many creatures as it would like to, is that it will have your phone number and your address on it should your cat get lost. If that information is no longer on your cat, should something happen to your cat, it won't come home to you. It'll be brought to the new family. Yeah, but then Snufkin would say, well, look, it's come home to you, though. Like, So your your fear is un- unfounded. It's here. It's coming through the door. No, but if something happened, it's like emergency contact stuff. I mean, Snufkin might say, well, put your own colour on as well if you want to be informed of a thing. But I don't know if he'd be that into the idea of emergency contact. No, but say your cat has had an accident. You might want to know it's at this vet. It's got a broken leg. It's a tricky one because I I think fundamentally Snuff's going to be like, well, ask the cat. Yeah. Why do you think the cat's better off with you? You don't know this other person. Maybe say like, follow the cat until you meet the other person, introduce yourself, get to know them, see what they're about. But if they're not a policeman, then maybe you can strike a deal. Maybe you can share the cat. Sing a song, play some music. You don't own the cat. The cat owns the cat. Yeah. But the thing is that like, also, cats do this a lot. This is the whole story of Six Dinner Sid. Yeah, classic. They don't actually have to choose. You know, outdoor cats, they go where they like, when they like. And probably the cat's dinner input has just doubled. 
and that's nice for the cat. Yeah, exactly. What's the problem for the cat? The cat is definitely having a better time of things. Yeah. If you really love the cat, then you love the cat. If you really love the cat, let the cat go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think that level of non-attachment to other conscious beings, I don't even know if it's an ideal I actually agree with at this stage. Yeah. Even if it's possible, like, I think it's a little bit unfair to ask other people not to care about what happens in their relationships and not to care if they feel abandoned. Yeah, I'm not sure Snufkin's always fully fair, though, in that kind of way. You could send a message on the collar. Yes. You could write a letter to the other person. A poem. Write a poem. Write a poem to the other person. That's nice. Let's say that. And then you can start like a really cute long distance friendship or romance with the cat going between you. I mean, I like it. I like it. That is what you should do. You should romance the other person via poems attached to the cat's beautiful new collar. That's all I have to say. I think that's great. Every week we're going to recommend other pieces of art that have the spirit of the Moomins. So, Nina, what's your one this week? Mine's a picture book this week. It's called The Man Whose Mother Was a Pirate by Margaret Mahi. And it's a story which features a philosopher not dissimilar to the philosopher in <laughs> Comet in Moominland. It's a story about a man who's taking his mother, who is a pirate, to see the sea. And he's taking some time off work and he's pushing his mum along in a wheelbarrow toward the sea. And several people ask him where he's going and tell him that the sea's not a good place to go. One of these people is a philosopher. And the philosopher tells the little man that he should turn back, turn back, because disappointment lies ahead. The sea is less warm, the joke less funny, the taste is never as good as the smell. Which is the same vibe as the muskrat. Very much so. It's also a picture book with quite good fat representation, despite some of the fat representation being quite bad. The mother who's a pirate is a very fat woman who gets pushed around in a wheelbarrow, no questions asked. It's really good. And the Moomins are, I guess, good fat representation. Yeah. Annoyingly, because like a lot of the problem with representation is it often gets put into animals or creatures, doesn't it, rather than actual humans. That can be a problem in itself. Yeah. But having said that, I think it is good fat representation yeah. for sure. Yeah. What's yours? Yeah, my spirit of uh, the Moomins this week is the films of Hayao Miyazaki. Or the Studio Ghibli films people might know them more as. I thought you were going to try and narrow it down to one. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, one is like the series of films, right? Like the, okay. the collection of films. That's one. I'll allow it. The reason I'm picking those is because it's interesting. One of the things that you said in, in one of our previous episodes, Nina, was like there aren't very many things with the the tone and the pace of Moomin books yeah. these days. And I think the Ghibli films do have that pace. They have that slowness, the strangeness. The one that has the most of the Moomin feel is Ponyo, I think, which is really feels kind of very Moomin-y. But I also really love Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away, which are a little bit more adventure but there is quite a lot of adventure in the Moomins. Yeah. 
There's definitely that kind of sense of like you meet people and you think they're going to be scary, but they turn out to be less scary. And that kind of thing is, I think, very Moominsy. And have you got a spirit of the pod goblins hat? Yes, this this week it's my turn to pick out a podcast that has a similar effect or feel to ours. I've chosen Braving the Elements, which is a podcast series about the world of Avatar The Last Airbender. For people who know Avatar and Korra, the two hosts who are going on the journey of watching every episode in sequence are the person who plays Prince Zuko in Avatar and the person who plays Korra in The Legends of Korra. So it's two of the people who were there. So you've got their reminiscences, their inside knowledge. They have access to the entire creative team, like writers and actors. And it just has a really joyful friendship. Yeah, I really recommend giving it a listen whether you know Avatar or not, maybe it'll get you into Avatar. That's all for episode three. But before we go, here are the tiny cliffhangers for next week's episode. Who is the Snork Maiden? Will Moomin Troll succeed in returning her ankle ring to her? Will our intrepid team get home to Moomin Valley in time? And when they get there, will Moomin Mama know what to do? Until next week, when we will be reading the second half of Comet in Moominland, remember that one should have respect for one's tale. Bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>